Thank you very much, Karen, for ministering in music. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Christ, both living as well as written the scripture we have. We thank you for your spirit who lives and works within us. As we look at a portion of the Old Testament this morning, Father, it's our desire to understand how you worked in the time of Habakkuk, how you continue to work today and learn and grow and living in light of who you are, Father, and in light of Christ at work in us today. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. An old missionary couple had been working in Africa for years and was returning, or they were returning to New York City to retire. They had no pension. Their health was broken. They were defeated, discouraged, and afraid. They discovered that they were booked on the same ship as President Teddy Roosevelt who was returning from one of his big game hunts in Africa. No one paid any attention to them. They watched the fanfare that accompanied the president's entourage with passengers trying to catch a glimpse of the great man. As the ship moved across the ocean, the old missionary said to his wife, Something is wrong. Why should we have given our lives and faithful service for God in Africa all these many years and have no one to care a thing about us. Here this man comes back from a hunting trip, and everybody makes much over him, but no one gives two hoots about us. Dear, you shouldn't feel that way, his wife said. I can't help it. It doesn't seem right. When the ship docked in New York, a band was waiting to greet the president. The mayor and other dignitaries were there. The papers were full of the president's arrival, but no one noticed the missionary couple. They slipped off the ship and found a cheap flat on the east side, hoping the next day to see where they could make a living in the city. That night, the man's spirit broke. He said to his wife, I can't take this. God is not treating us fairly. His wife replied, Why don't you go in the bedroom and tell the Lord that? A short time later, he came from the bedroom. But now his face was completely different, and his wife asked, Dear, what happened? The Lord settled it with me, he said. I told him how bitter I was that the president should receive this tremendous homecoming when no one met us as we returned home. And then when I finished, it seemed as though the Lord put his hand on my shoulder and simply said, but you're not home yet. Yes, there are rewards for faithfulness, but not necessarily down here. Habakkuk is being faithful. He is lamenting to God as the missionary lamented to God. In chapter 1, he had lamented about violence, about wrong, about strife, about conflict indifference to the law and justice being perverted. He told the the Lord that he felt like, Lord, 
you're not listening. He asked the Lord some why questions. The Lord then answered Habakkuk in chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. But the Lord's answer brought more questions. So let's read about that in Habakkuk 1 and verse 12. Habakkuk 1 and verse 12. Again, this is after Habakkuk's questions, the Lord responding. O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O rock, you've ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look an evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made men like fish in a sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. No doubt doubt Habakkuk had expected the Lord to intervene graciously and to send a revival like the one in Josiah's day. But when the Lord answered, it would be to say that I will send the Babylonians, to scourge my people, my chosen people. And that's what he had told Habakkuk in verses 5 through 11. So this raises a second dilemma for Habakkuk. The first had been God's inactivity. While injustice increased in Judah, God resolved it with a promise of judgment. But then Habakkuk faced another situation in which a most ungodly nation, Babylon, was going to use to judge Judah, God's special people. In essence, Habakkuk is saying, wait, wait, hold it a minute. I don't understand what's going on. I understand why you're judging us. We deserve it. But I don't understand why you're using the Babylonians, a more wicked nation than us, to judge us. Have you ever been there? We encounter this in a personal level. Suppose you lose your job because a person who has it in for you misrepresents you and what you have done. Why does God allow this very bad person to succeed? Suppose you're sick and a doctor misdiagnoses you so that you get worse. Why is this happening? Suppose you experience some great disappointment, the death of a child or a spouse, the breakup of a marriage or an engagement, a failure to get the right into the right graduate school or residency, 
Doesn't God care? What's going on in life? Lamenting is happening on the part of Habakkuk. And as you look at the structure of this passage, you'll find that Habakkuk raises some questions or raises a question. There's a progression. In verse 12, there's the question. And then in verse, the balance of verse 12 and the first part of verse 13, Habakkuk rehearses God's attributes. My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them. Your eyes are too pure to look in evil. You can not tolerate wrong. So there's a progression taking place. He thinks in light of the answer that he had received. So he poses the question. Again, he reviews God's attributes. But there's still doubt remains. So what happens in verse 13? Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Or treacherous? Now this is the creature, Habakkuk, talking to the creator. Why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than yourself? Lord, you're going to allow Babylon to swallow up Judah? They're more wicked than us? What's going on? He's lamenting. He's asking God. And then in verses 14 through 16, he reviews Babylon's history. Verse 14, you have made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. It seems like that would be speaking of Judah. But what happens? The wicked in verse 15, the wicked foe pulls up all, or pulls them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them together so that he can rejoice and be glad. So he's reviewing Babylon's history. So that results in a question in verse 17. Is he, is Babylon to keep on emptying his net, destroying the nations without mercy? So he's lamented to God. He asked four questions. He rehearsed some of God's attributes. So he says in chapter 2 and verse 1, I'm going to stand at my watch and I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for God, for the Lord to respond. And notice that Habakkuk was a thinker. He didn't merely hear the answer the Lord gave. But he thought about it, and that resulted in more questions. And apparently, Habakkuk knew the Lord. I didn't say he knew about him. He knew him. Because notice what he calls the Lord. Verse 12, Lord. Verse 12, my God, my Holy One. Verse 12, O Rock. He recognized the Lord was holy. He recognized that the Lord made mankind. 
And it's interesting, too, that the focus of his lament is whom? The Lord. He's talking to the Lord. He's lamenting to the Lord, the independent self-existing one. Babylon was a world power known for its evil. He complains to God about that. But yet Habakkuk was willing to listen. I will stand at my watch and station myself in the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. If you go back to verse 12, he says, O Lord. The use of Lord is the covenant name of God. Habakkuk recognized that he's lamenting to the Lord concerning what the Lord is doing. But he also recognized that Judah was in a covenant with the Lord. He also must have reflected upon what was happening. Because the belief in that day was that the nation with the superior God won the battle. Lord, Babylon is going to overtake us. That looks like you're the inferior God and Babylon has the superior gods. And in verse 16, he says, Therefore he, Babylon, sacrifices to his nets and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys choicest food. He knew there was a covenant involved. He uses the word everlasting, which often denotes an unspecified point in past history and is repeatedly used of the Lord's former preservation of Israel. There's a dynamic going on here. There's a covenant with the Lord, but yet the Lord is going to judge Babylon. Or I'm sorry, judge Judah. And Habakkuk still comes back and recognizes, God, there's some type of covenant going on here. And that is expressed a number of times. So there's a progression Acknowledging God as the covenant God, acknowledging him as holy, acknowledging him as the rock. But yet, seeing that judgment is coming. Verse 12, he says, O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. Babylon is going to judge Judah. Judgment is translated justice in chapter 1 and verse 4. It's translated law in chapter 1 and verse 7. It implies that there's going to be a restoration of something, a restoration of authority, a restoration of order that is going to take place. Judgment. But that judgment involves punishment. Because he mentions that too. Know that you've ordained them to punish us. And punish is the judicial meaning. It's establishing what is right or just. 
God, you're going to establish what is right or just by punishing us. That's going to happen. And frequently it signifies correction, whether verbal or otherwise. And in this context, the punishment is redemptive rather than destructive. God is allowing a more evil nation to come and discipline Judah, but it has redemption, not destruction behind it. Habakkuk is starting to grasp this, but he still can't get why a more evil nation should judge Judah. See, Israel's rejection of the Lord's authority mediated through the Mosaic law merely exposed them to harsher experience of his authority mediated through an alien people. Judah didn't obey, so God's bringing Babylon. Mankind may determine by their conduct how they will encounter the Lord's sovereignty, but they can't escape it. Judah brought on judgment by their disobedience. James Montgomery Boyce has some interesting thoughts, and I quote, I think his, that is Habakkuk's, reasoning must have been along these lines. If God is the everlasting God, if he were here before anything we know came into existence, and will be here after all our problems and enemies have faded away, then the Babylonian invasion is not the last word, however final that invasion may seem. His relationship to us is more important and more lasting. Again, if God is holy, and I know him to be, then the outcome of this invasion, since it is being caused by God, will not be evil but good in the final analysis. It will accomplish some good purpose. If God is sovereign, then the invasion is not the result of mere chance. God is still in control. Finally, if God is faithful, then the victory of the Babylonian armies must be for the good of God's people. If he does not indicate, or if he doesn't, or it does not indicate that God has changed his mind, he has not abandoned us. We are still his people. Think what Habakkuk has accomplished by this reasoning. If the Babylonian invasion is not the last word in God's relationship with his people, it is not to be evil in the final analysis. If it is not the result of mere chance, it does not indicate a change of mind on God's part. Then what must the invasion be? The answer is, It must be a tool in God's hand for the correction and purification of his people. It it is to do them good. Habakkuk expresses his conclusion by saying, O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish. Habakkuk is coming to the conclusion that Babylon, a more evil nation, is going to be used by God for good in the nation of Judah, but still can't grasp all that is happening. So he has reasoned 
He is questioned. So he offers another question in the middle of verse 13. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Lord, you're going to use Babylon for good in Judah. I might be getting that a little bit. But I'm not getting the full picture here, Lord. That you're using treacherous people. You tolerate them. You're silent while the wicked swallow up the more righteous. And the idea of being silent is a teacher in class, knowing that there's some misbehavior going on, and doesn't respond. You assume the teacher doesn't care and is unconcerned. Hey, Lord, you know about Babylon. You know how wicked they are. And you're silent. You're not doing anything. Why? As I mentioned earlier, then in verses 14 through 16, he just discusses Babylon. You've made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. It's almost like he's saying, Lord, you made Judah. We're like fish in the sea. And what happens? Verse 15, the wicked, the Babylonian foe, pulls up all of them with hooks. He catches them by his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet and so rejoices and is glad. Lord, Babylon's going to take over us? Do you know what they're like? They treat people like fish. They catch them, put them in their net. They hook them. And they rejoice and they're glad. So what, what does Babylon do? Habakkuk says, therefore he, I think refers to Babylon, sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. And by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest foods. Babylon conquers. And they sacrifice to their god, or gods, should say gods. And they live in luxury. So what does he conclude with? Is he, is Babylon to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? And Babylon came and took over many countries very quickly. As you study history. Lord, is this to continue? He's lamenting to the Lord. He doesn't like what's going to happen. He didn't like God's response. And he talks to God about it. But I love verse 2, or 1 of chapter 2. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. And that's coming from a watchman on a city wall. He was to watch for the enemy. And if the enemy was coming, he was to warn people. And Habakkuk is saying, I'm going to station myself on the watch. I'm going to be looking. I'm going to be observing. I will see what he will say to me. What's the Lord going to say to me? And what's he's going to answer to this complaint? I don't know if you've ever been very open and strong with God. 
Habakkuk is pretty strong with God. Lord, aren't you from everlasting? Why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up the more righteous than themselves? You're going to let this nation continue to empty their nets, destroy nations without mercy? Lord, Rebecca paraphrase, where are you? What are you doing? Legitimate questions. Then he says, I'm going to listen. Some thoughts. If you have questions for God, find time to listen to his answer in his time. He's not always instant as we demand in our culture today. As you look at scripture, God uses a lot of questions. But people use questions for God and Psalms. The psalmist a number of times question God. Habakkuk is questioning God. And other people question God. It's not that it's wrong to question God. But be willing to listen. Listening for his answer may take time and thinking. And if we're not too careful, we get too busy with and how much noise via TV, computer, radio, phone, and so on that we can't even hear God. But ask, but then listen. It's okay to question the Lord in a humble manner. This means we share our lack of understanding with a willingness to hear and accept his answer. Don't be afraid to question in a humble manner. Apparently God wants to respond because he responds to Habakkuk as we'll find in chapter 2. He responds to his lament. He's responding, will respond a second time. We must learn sometimes to be still if we're to hear the Lord. Quietness many times is essential to hearing the Lord. Just listening. What are you saying? God was alive and active and working in Habakkuk's day. He's alive and he's acting and he's working today. Can we not ask? Will he not respond? But being willing to be still. We as humans may determine by our conduct how we will encounter God's sovereignty, but we cannot escape it. Judah is escaping God's sovereignty by how they lived. We will encounter God. How do we live and respond? A deep knowledge of the character of the Lord is essential for to understand life, have direction in life, and share Christ with a hurting, directionless world. Habakkuk knew God. My God, my Holy One. We will not die. 
He knew there was a covenant relationship. We're going to be judged, but we're not going to die. He knew God enough that he could ask a question like, why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up the more righteous than themselves? He knew God would respond because I will stand at my watch and station myself at the ramparts. I will look and see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. He knew God was going to respond to him. That God was alive and well and working. I'm not looking for an answer to this question. But I've heard asked quite often in a variety of ways, what's going on with America? Why are we are why are we where we are? What's God doing? If you ask that, then listen. I think he'll answer. God, I've lived holy and righteous. I've been obedient to you. And now I have this tragedy in life. What's going on, God? Why? Listen. I can't prove that this is true, and I'm not about to try to prove that it is true. Is it possible in heaven there's file after file of answers to questions? But the answers remain in the file because they were never asked. I can't prove that. But as you look at Scripture, as people ask God questions, it seems like he responds. As individuals continue to trust the Lord and to walk with him. As we sing a song in a few moments, hymn 22, praise my soul, the king of heaven. So hymn of the month for this, for June. But to challenge us to praise the Lord, even when we have tons of questions and the Lord answers and we don't like the answers that we get, we still turn to him in praise. Travis?